0: is a podcast focused on hearing about the business truths, tools, and tips others can't do without. After interviewing hundreds of people for their LinkedIn profiles and talking with thousands of people looking to use professional platforms more strategically, I've had the pleasure of meeting and getting to know people that lead, create, and engage within their companies and in their communities with great intention, abundance, focus, and sheer grit. I want to share their stories so that you can gain insight from a variety of people, not just the podcast and tech rock stars that have become household names. Rather, let's focus on the people whose stories influence those around them, and maybe even you. Everyone has indispensable truths, tools, and tips, even if they haven't realized it yet. And while this podcast isn't about LinkedIn and how to use it, it may weave its way in from time to time. It is, after all, our favorite platform for networking and doing business. Come, join us, and get to know some of my colleagues, clients, friends, and neighbors. All right, this is episode number four with Melanie Freshenko, and we will be talking um, to Melanie about team building and learning and development. Welcome, Melanie. It's great to have you with us today. We're excited to talk to you about lots of things because you have such a great background. And Melanie is um, team, she works in team effectiveness and leadership development and coaching. And her company is Honeycomb Team Solutions. So, welcome, Melanie. Oh, thanks for having me, Colleen.
1: Good to be here. We have
0: lots to talk about, and I'm excited to um, kind of dive in because you bring such a wealth of knowledge in both learning and development and team building. And you and I um, kind of got to know one another in your role as the VP of Learning and Development at Vistage Worldwide, and. As someone who was an instructor for you, I got to understand and appreciate how you really thought about learning and development and and wanted to bring the best experience to the people that you were serving at the time. So can we just talk about your background and how you got into learning and development and then team building?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean – I kind of fell into learning and development. I was a young philanthropist in the Peace Corps a long time ago. And in the Peace Corps, I stumbled upon an assignment to do um, a, a nonprofit fundraising campaign for an HIV AIDS center and really discovered my passion for building teams and groups with that center. When we developed a volunteer program with the local high school, it was lots of fun. It was really challenging, but I think in that moment, I realized how we're all different, but we're kind of the same, you know, I was on the other side of the planet and speaking Russian and dealing with the same kinds of problems and challenges that, people deal with here when it comes to working with other people and managing navigating relationships and getting what you want out of other people. So when I came back to the state, I thought I want to do that. I want to, I want to get nerdy about what makes people tick and why people do what they do specifically in the workplace, because it's a lot different than in are personalized and yet we seem to treat those relationships the same or we seem to have the same expectations of those relationships and mm. gosh what is that so I got a master's in human and organizational development and then from there uh, kind of focused in on leadership development specifically and have spent pretty much my whole career focused on helping leaders get more out of their teams And how has that changed over the years? Because, you know,
0: you can't log into LinkedIn and read your homepage feed or pick up the Wall Street Journal or just about any professional publication without seeing at least half a dozen articles or blog
1: posts or videos on leadership development. Oh, gosh, I know the focus on leadership development, I think, has increased over time and you know specifically I think the focus on senior level development so we used to you know like 20 years ago when we said leadership development we meant that entry-level supervisor who was coming into the organization and learning about communication and interviewing skills and and whatnot and certainly that's what I did when I entered my career that's the those are the kinds of things I focused on but really where the Grift hits the wheel is at the top of the organization in that very top layer of leaders. And I think industry has realized that if you focus on that top tier and make that engine really high functioning, it slows down into the rest of the organization. And not that you don't need to support other leaders with development, but it's really the top of the organization that will make or break you. Right, and it sets the tone for the culture, too, correct? Yes, and I think in the last 10 years, I've seen a lot more focus on that layer, and, you know, consequently, I've kind of shifted into that layer, too. Most of the, most of the work that I do is with leaders and senior leaders and the teams that exist at the, at the top. Um, and certainly with within industry where we find a lot of acquisitions and a lot of change and a lot of organizations that are reorging and things like that, it gets a lot more volatile. Um, well, all over the place, but specifically at that layer, it, it's a lot more challenging to navigate leadership these days at the top when you've got more technology, uh, you've got narrower organizations, flatter organizations, You've got a faster pace, and you've got a need, um, a greater need for navigating relationships at the top, I would right, say. Right,
0: and, you know, for some, it's a remote workforce, right? I mean, genera- generationally, there's, what, five generations of workers in, in many workforces and companies today?
1: Right, right. Right, and baby boomers being led by millennials, that's an interesting situation right there. How do you help millennials manage baby boomers and lighten the other way around? How do we all get along mm-hmm. <laughs> in the workplace when we're all so different? The diversity is so much more uh, robust than it used to be 20, 30, 40 years ago.
0: So do you find that working with senior leaders, um, and leadership teams that they're more open to saying, okay, we we definitely need some help and some coaching and some guidance here because we may not be doing such a great job, or do you find that many of them are like, hey, I think we've got this?
1: You know, I find a mixed bag of both of -hmm. those things. I I wouldn't say I I – I meet a, a lot, I meet a lot of organizations that say they want help because, of course, the, those are the only kinds of organizations that are drawn to me and that seek me out. So naturally, most of the organizations I speak to are looking to do something different. But then when you tap into the leaders and you meet the people in the organizations, I would say that you meet all kinds of people. You meet people who are eager and open and have their heart on their sleeve and want to change, and then you have people that are scared and closed and fearful of what the future holds. I think it's just a natural picture of what you find in any organization all over the
0: world. And so for someone like you, your job is kind of to find the common ground so that you can potentially work with them to move forward. Would that be
1: correct? Yeah. Yes. Yes. see what, the, what I see my job is every single person
0: in an organization
1: that I get to work with, my only job is to meet them wherever they are and to give them the opportunity to take the next step however big or small it is. I mean, everybody is at their own place and they all are at their own state of readiness to manifest who they were truly meant to be and, and be their greatest. And some people are going to take baby steps and some people are going to take leaps and bounds. And, you know, the cool thing is, is those two things can happen at the same time simultaneously and can support one another it's cool seeing that when you see people in the room pulling each other forward and helping each other out and helping each other see each other's opportunities. So that, my, my job is just to shepherd that experience. That's it. It's not to push them there or to encourage them that they need to be there. That's they, the Only they can do that. I'm just there to encourage them along. Is
0: that, that's such a great picture, like shepherding them along. Is it important to be able to identify by person who's going to take the little steps and who's going to take the the leaps, or is it okay to let that sort of just sort of brew on its own in its own in that environment?
1: I think it's important to know who is able to do what? And I'll tell you why. Those people who are leaning in and you, you make that eye to eye contact with them and you know that they want something deeper that you know that they are having a challenge and they want to overcome that challenge and they are committed to making it happen. You can demand of them more movement in a way that you cannot demand of someone who is closed and, skeptical and fearful. The person who is skeptical and fearful, you have to provide them with a safe space. You have to, you have to honor where they are and who they are and be credible and yet at the same time be respectful of them and where they are in their space. And so you can imagine those, me partnering with those two different people looks Mm -hmm. a lot different. So my, I really have to feel them out as I go and then measure my, my approach with each individual person independently. And
0: that really seems to require a lot of emotional intelligence from the team itself, collectively, from you and from the person. Seems like a lot happening
1: there. Yes. Yeah. I'm lucky that I have... This weird intuition about people—I hmm. <laughs> don't know where that came from, Colleen. But <laughs> sometimes when I step into a room, I—I I just know. I just know. I know the feeling of the room. I know. I—I I can feel what the people are doing. I can feel what they're feeling. And I'm not the most—I don't. I wouldn't consider myself the most empathetic person, but I am great at making observations. And drawing data from those observations and then making assumptions on my own behavior based on mm. those <laughs> observations. So that's not empathy. Right. <laughs> that's just being great at measuring people, I guess.
0: Well, when it's what you do every day, you really do get, get good at it. And, and what's so interesting, yeah, so I have to kind of tap into a conversation that you and I had in December of 2018. Um, I was in San Diego, you and I got together for coffee. We were sitting at this absolutely adorable coffee shop overlooking the Pacific and Del Mar, right? I was like, can we just have coffee where there's a view? And not in the in in the hotel lobby. That was like that was what set that up. And it was the first time that we had gotten together to have a conversation um, since you you went off on your own. So I was so intrigued about the journey between that you experienced leaving a a company and being like a key driver in that company and going off on your own as an entrepreneur. And I love this story. The story has stayed with me. We've actually done a little bit of work around that story with our own team. And I'd love um, if you would talk a little bit about how you came to create this new business and what that journey looked like and what the question was that kind of flipped it on its head for you.
1: Yeah, well, so in the corporate world, I felt like I had, I've always added value and I've always felt really good about what I was doing, contributing to the organization and with the people, moving them forward. But I would say in the last maybe seven years of my corporate career, I felt this, I felt like I was being held back and I didn't know what it was. And I thought maybe it was just my drive. You know, when, when you have strong drive, you always feel like you're being held back and you just get used to that, but it was something different. So in the last, I would say two years of my corporate career, I became really agitated with myself. I I just did not feel like I was in alignment with who I truly was. And at this, at this point, it was less about being agitated with my drive and more about, about like, I felt like I wasn't being true to myself. And I couldn't, I didn't know what that was all about. And, oh, okay, maybe, you know, I'm in my early 40s. I'm hitting my midlife crisis or sure, whatever. Something might be happening with my identity crisis, whatever. So, but nevertheless, I knew that I couldn't keep doing what I was doing and I didn't know what I was going to do. I just, I just decided that I was going to stop working in my corporate career and I knew that I needed to figure out what my next phase was. I knew that there was something bigger on the horizon for me. I just didn't know what it was. So I went, I went to Sedona for seven days and I, my goal was just to sit on a rock and stare off <laughs> into the desert and uh look for answers that i didn't i didn't even know what questions I was asking but but so I literally did that i i would i went and I sat on a rock and like on the fifth day, I was sitting there and I was so frustrated with myself because i hadn't figured out anything. It was like I'd been there for five days and not, I really hadn't come to any conclusions. And here I was sweating at noon on this rock in the middle of Arizona. Um, and I'm still asking myself, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Okay, sure. I've trained in rooms and I've developed curriculum for bleeders and I've coached people and Is that what I wanna do? And then I thought to myself, maybe I'm asking the wrong question. Maybe I'm not able to answer that question because it's not the question I should be asking myself. Okay, so what question should I be asking myself? And then I thought, okay, maybe if I ask myself who I want to be instead of what I want to do, and then all of a sudden it just started coming to me. Mm The, who do I want to be? What kind of person do I want to be? What kind of person am I? What kind of professional do I want to be? What kind of connector do I want to be? What kind of value add do I want to be? And those answers were very easy to find. And I had this vision of me, and the vision changed very quickly. It went from, like, me being with one person And I could feel, I'm in a room with one person and it was a, a man and he's older or something. You know, I assumed it was a leader and I could feel what I was doing. I couldn't, I didn't know exactly what I was doing, but I could feel who I was. And I was strong and confident and caring at the same time and demanding yet soft and compassionate yet direct and I could feel myself, and I thought, that's who I want. That's who I am. That's who I need to be, and whatever it is that I do, as long as I am being that person, I'm going to be just fine, and that is kind of where I step off from every morning in all relationships. Even in this conversation right now, I I feel – like at first I am connecting to who I am who in alignment with who I want to be. And then the words that come out of my mouth, just, they just sound like that. And <laughs> they just really, it's like, it just happens. I don't, I can't explain it, but I, I can, I can assure you that I am very clear with the person that I want to become and the person that I am. And I can see a straight line with how I how I want to get there.
0: I love that story, and I think it's so powerful. And I, I remember being on the plane home, and I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I, I've got to go through this." And I must have put my head down, like dropped my little, you know, tray in front of me, and I think I probably wrote for like an hour because that wow question, like. It kind of actually pierced my heart, I think, because I feel like we go through this motion of, okay, what are we going to accomplish? And I'm a pretty, you know, like, got to get this done. We got to move here. I'm a mover, and i kind of pretty action-oriented. So that was kind of, hmm, who do I want to be? Because I'm not quite sure that that's always the person that comes across, right? So we I came back, I shared that with the team, and we are an all-women team. Um, many of the people on my team are, you know, in their 20s. And I thought, wow, that could be a really, I'm hoping that that could really be a powerful question for them to think about. Because that's how I want them to see their their themselves, their career, their life, right? Like, who do I want to be today? Who do I want to be mm. three years from now, five years from now, 50 years from now, right? And that yeah. is just, you know, I have just, it's just stayed with me. And I don't know if you share that as, you know, in the work that you do today, but I will tell you that that set the tone for 2019 for me at least, and I think for our team uh-huh. as well. Because it was suddenly so much more fun to think about who you want to be than what do you want to do.
1: Yeah. It's it's more fun, and I think for many it's easier. For some, it's not. For some, um, I mean, I've worked with, the, for example, I'm working with the CFO right now, and his his team and he aren't connecting very well. And so, you know, what are your goals? I mean, my goal is my team to perform blah, blah, blah. That's, you know, a typical answer. Okay. Well, what's your role in, in creating this dysfunction? And who do you want to be? Once I get there, that's, that's a hard question for him mm-hmm. because he's a linear thinker. He's a, I know how to, Take A and then add B and then add C and get to mm-hmm. D. Um, but the higher, more questions are are, are difficult for him. Um, but for most of us, I think it's easier for us to identify who. We would like to be, if we were truly in alignment with who we truly are, um, that's a pretty easy definition to create for Mm -hmm. ourselves, I think.
0: And you use some tools to
1: help people understand who they are, correct? I do. I, I mean, I have lots of questions that are in my toolbox that I kind of pick out depending on, you know, how the conversation goes. And then I use um, some models and things. But my practice is a very – it's a very evolving practice, meaning every single relationship that I have is totally different. I don't use the same tool or process with every person because as soon as I meet you, you're already different from Mm -hmm. the last one. (laughs) So everybody – needs something different.
0: And so what have you seen? So it's been almost a year, right? Um, Probably what about, right? It has been a year, almost, I think, right? Yeah. And what are some of your takeaways? What's it like for you to be on your own, building your own business? Like, what
1: are some of those great takeaways? Wow, well, um, I didn't realize it was going to be as hard as it is. However, I don't think I would, even though I might, might have made some different decisions, I might have done things a little bit differently. I certainly, um, I made the right choice. I'm, I'm on the right path just for myself, but also I think for my style and how I connect to my partners in business, I think that, me being, a, being an external and coming in and helping people just within a short period of their journey, that really aligns with my ability to give the most value to more people. So I'm really enjoying that. I'm enjoying that I get to work with five different organizations in a week and, and providing different kinds of value and it's really good it's not like short surges and then you wait five months and then short surges again. That's kind of how I felt like as an internal, I wasn't doing enough. So now I feel like that's really fueling my um, need to, to do more and and provide more value. One of the cool things I've learned that I didn't realize until I came um, into an external role was, Every, everyone wants you to succeed. Hmm. Everyone really, truly is your champion. Everyone on the planet, even people who are your competitors or that you would feel or seem as competitors. Everybody really, truly wants the best for you. And I feel like it's easy for us to go out there and feel like people are going to say no or nobody needs me and I am not, I don't, I, I'm not good enough. And there's all this head trash that kind of runs at you and slaps you across the face as soon as you want to take it like a big step or a big leap. And this can be true for anyone in any role, whether it's external or internal. But even those people that seem to be on opposite sides of the fence from you, they really, truly do want the best for you. And if you can believe that and lean into it, it's amazing when I just close my eyes and just try to believe that everybody wants the best for me, what amazing things blossom from that. I I
0: think that that is such a great way to look at it. And I actually agree with you, right?
1: I think that. I'm sure you agree. I know you agree. You have to agree with me just because I know you enough to know that you're a connector and you, you, your gift to the world is that you connect other people. So that's kind of a currency that you must live off of, you know, the currency of everybody just helping each other oh, out. I love that. Right. I mean, I love when those connections,
0: somebody has a great conversation or they can work together or somebody else gets a job. I mean, I was just having a conversation with somebody with my neighbor last week about this. Like I want everybody to have a job. Right. And like something that brings them fulfillment yeah. and, And joy. Right. And, and this is somebody who has struggled for a long time. And, um, and it was interesting because I was like, oh, I don't know that this person can just know how to get a job, but maybe like even a workforce development program would be great for this person. And, and I happen to be having a conversation with somebody who like leads up workforce development for the county we live in the next day. I mean, like, you know, the chance there's like a lot of karma and serendipity that I think happens, right? And depending uh-huh. on, on what you believe. But yeah, if you, you just kind of look at how the dots connect. Yeah, people do, you know, I, I mean, we would never have been able to be in business this long so far if I didn't have incredible, like, I feel like I have champions. I don't even know who they are. Right. So they're just like, Oh, wow. That person must have said something really positive about us or the work that we do or heard something and, and they reach out and, and it happens all the, all the time. Yeah. Right. Because we live in a, in a, in a very transparent world now and where it's somebody that you know heard about you three years ago and they give you a phone you know they, they pick up the phone and they call you or they send you a text message or whatever it is it's kind of crazy but they're that like that kind of right. good karma can propel your business and give you that sure footing to let it thrive and I love that I think it's fabulous
1: or if, if- at the very least, it can calm you down and make you feel less alone in the world. And and, and so that's a, this is a mantra that I, I tell, like, leaders who feel like their teams are turning on them or teams who feel like their leader is turning on them. I mean, what are the chances that your team doesn't want what's best for you. The chances are pretty slim, Mm -hmm. but the moment in the moment you feel like the world is crumbling, but if you can just stop for a minute and imagine the possibility that everybody wants what's best for you. Imagine how that pivot in your paradigm can change your behavior. Everybody's behavior. It's right. It's a powerful it's a powerful shift in perception.
0: Yes. I think that's really, I think that's so interesting. And I think that for leaders and CEOs and founders of companies, like they hear all the time, you know, it's lonely at the top, right? I I remember actually working for a CEO um, years and years ago and he called me in one day and he was like, you know, it's hard to be me. It's, it is lonely at the top. There's nobody for me to talk to. And you and I have heard that through the years, hundreds and hundreds of times. Sometimes I think that maybe see yeah. C- that's like that can become head trash for a CEO, though, too. Perhaps.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, it can. I can understand yeah. why they would say that, and I, by all means, I totally I get it. Um, and I agree with you that we have to be careful about how we view our connections and our partnerships and and the, and the holistic value that it gives that each one of them give to us, because if we fear that there's, if if we see there's a wall there, then that creates a limiting belief Mm -hmm. that we can't achieve because we don't have enough partnerships and CEOs I mean, if you think of the most successful CEOs and then compare them against the least successful CEOs, being lonely at the top can happen in both of those categories. But certainly those that try to extend themselves and and get out there and connect to other people in a more effective way, they have a greater chance of success or at least right. from what i've
0: seen. Yeah, i think and i think that's very true and i think they also tend to have more um kind of a growth mindset, right? They're they're open to learning and trying new things and although they might be quivering inside, they kind of push themselves as you said earlier they kind of lean into. It. What's your thought on that?
1: Sure. Yeah, I I haven't met many CEOs that quiver (laughs) inside, (laughs) but (laughs) most CEOs that I meet are are pretty strong and they are, they're willful. Um, But despite that, I would say they, sometimes they're too strong. Sometimes they are too willful and that prevents them from connecting with the other people in their organization. And likewise, it prevents the people in the organization from connecting with them. Mm-hmm. And so, just finding—gosh, um, I don't know how we like wandered onto this tangent. We were talking about—we were talking about tips that I've learned along the way, or things that I've learned along the way, and how everyone is out to support you. But certainly this, this is true for the CEOs, um, CEOs that go into the organization and feel like it is me and them. It is me and them. Um, that is the lonely place mm-hmm. to be right there. Right. Either
0: or, right. Not and, but or, right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. And
1: so. But if it were, if it's me and them, if it's me, if it's us, if that's, that's against the world or it's me and you um, and we're fighting this fight together, like that feels a lot different as a CEO than it's lonely at the top and it's me and mm-hmm. uh, and them.
0: And do you see um, millennials and, you know, I always, I, I actually really kind of cringe when I just like this group millennials, right? Cause I, I kind of feel as though I have a different, I don't know. I love millennials. I love how they work. I love how they think, and I think that they just kind of get grouped into this big bucket and so i um, mm-hmm. so I want to be careful how i guide this question. but um, how has their level of um, sort of desire to work and to know the people that they work alongside? Changed some of the dynamics of for leaders.
1: Well, first, I'm totally with you in that I, I'm I don't really I don't liken myself to naming the generations and defining them um, because, first of all, like millennials, <laughs> they're young, and when I was young, I mm-hmm. did that stuff too. You know, like I but. <laughs> and, you know, the, what my parents used to complain about how I was, you know, fleeting and how I wanted everything for myself and how I was self-centered and, uh, heck, that's what young people do. So, like, the fact that millennials have certain characteristics, I'm not sure that that's because they're millennials per se, I just... Um, but, there is, but there is truth in that we... Uh, because our organizations are flatter now than they ever have been, we are finding that millennials are ascending into senior leadership roles much more quickly than these two. And many of them bypass the typical learning curve that a traditional, or 10 years ago, a traditional leader might have gone through to get what they are. So you find them like in the senior director role, and many, or even VP roles, and many of them have never led people, they've never taken a rudimentary leadership development course, and guffaw, at this point, when you're a VP, you don't, you shouldn't have to need communication courses, and things like that, and you certainly don't have time, because now you've got 26 people under you, and three teams of software developers, and your, your, your boss is a CEO and now you are on this horizontal team with all these other VPs. So you should be functioning as a VP. It's expected of you. So I meet a lot of younger, up-and-coming leaders who get there and they're like, mm-hmm. holy crap. How... I didn't realize that I was going to have to lead someone who's my dad's age. I, I I'm going to... All of my peers, they're all underneath me now. I don't know how to do this. And it's difficult for them. I I think leadership is becoming a much more difficult landscape because of the ease by which people float in and out of it now. Whereas before, we had these traditional pathways, you'd go up and you'd spend X number of years in a certain role. Millennials, they don't they throw those traditions out of out of out of the window. It's that's not that's not how they see their progression in their career. They are going to go where they want to go at the pace at which they feel comfortable. And yeah. power to them, man. Because Yeah. Right? I mean, if you're ready if you are a software developer who specializes in data science and you are so smart and you're going to help us innovate biotechnology in a way that's going to invent a new silicone lining for heart transplants, please, please help us. Please lead the way. Um, We'll help you with the people problem. That's, we got to help you with that. So That's why people like me exist. That's why organizations need more and more and more people like me who can come in and help them create a just in time, flexible solution for teams that are kind of weirdly put together and haphazardly developed. Um, Because they, that's really what it, what the world looks like. I think that's a great
0: way of putting it. And I think that that makes complete sense. what, teams that stayed together for long periods of time historically don't stay together for long periods of time today. Right. And and so that ability to be agile and like recreate a team or create a new team because that one team got too big and maybe we exist better with more pods of people than big teams of people. And like, it's a much more fluid process, right? So but they need somebody to orchestrate it. It is constant. Yep. So how does that affect, so building the team, and you've got sort of like, so in my mind I'm picturing a circle with like a Venn diagram. You've got teams of people, you have learning and development, and the overlap is that place where we're giving the teams of people exactly what they need in the way that they need it. And how are, those, how are those two pieces coming together? Like maybe you don't see them as a Venn diagram, but I kind of do. I don't know if that even makes sense. But like you've got to be giving them the, the pieces that they need. But they're not going to, you know, I remember you talking years ago about asynchronous learning, right? And is, is, is that how, is that where things are going? Because it's just easier for, to, for people to learn just in time.
1: You, well, I mean, yes, yes, just in time is an easier way for people to learn. It also, because the landscape's shifting constantly, you never know what you're going to need to know. I mean, you might need to know interviewing skills right now, but in three weeks from now, you're not going to be interviewing anybody anymore because somebody else on your team is going to be doing that so you're going to need to have them learn how to do that and then you need to learn how to make decisions about organizational structure I mean today is really different than what it was yesterday so today somehow organizations need to find a way to skill you up in whatever way you need to be skilled right now Mm -hmm. I don't know if asynchronous learning and that for those who don't know what asynchronous means, it means you you go on to the web or a tool and you learn just in time without another person. Nobody's nobody's there teaching you anything in a room with a flip chart. You're kind of learning it on your own. Honestly, with most, you know, with YouTube and the advent of lots of other freeware out there, there are so many ways to learn most things, um, organizations absolutely can tap into their autonomous resources to help their employees skill up in these ways. Um, but I, honestly, Colleen, I would say there are two things that I, I think leaders today, if they have these two things, they're much better off um, than if they don't. And it has nothing to do with interview skills or communication skills or performance management processes or any of that. It's mm-hmm. self-awareness about who I am, what my preferences are, what kind of person am I, what do I do? What do I don't do? What, 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 what are my talents and what are my not so hot talents? Like just self-awareness about who I am. I'm telling you, most leaders... Do not know, are not aware of how they communicate and lead, communicate with and lead other Mm -hmm. people. So, just a little bit of self-awareness can go so far in giving you a sense of what you need to do to improve. And you can improve on your own. You don't need, you don't need a map. You just need to know. Okay, I'm not the best communicator. Okay, knowing that, what do I do with that? People can make huge strides with just some self-awareness. And then the second thing is building up, and this is a little bit more difficult, but building up a greater intuition around your team and the people on your team and what they need and who they are. So you become self-awareness about self-aware with about yourself who you are, what kind of leader you are. Okay. Now flip that on its head and do the same kind of analysis about the people around you and not just on your team, but also on your horizontal team, like the fellow director from another department or, or your CEO or your boss. Who are these people? What are their preferences? How do they like to be spoken to? How do they like to be managed? How do they like to be communicated with? What? What is the currency they use when they navigate relationships with other people? And most of the time calling, when I work with people that these two areas are the two areas that I sit in. I don't do development courses in interviewing skills or communication training. That's not typically the lane that I, that I drive in. The lane I drive in is what I believe a more effective, more holistic, more long-term lane of helping leaders arm themselves with with an understanding that will help them flex and push and pull and navigate and just wade through the waters of change that are constant because you never know what you're going to need to know. But if you know yourself, and if you know the people around you, then you, the chances of you making it through is a lot better.
0: Right. I couldn't agree more. I think that it is, um, that, that tuition, intuition is really important. And just thinking about, you have a great blog post Um And it's really talking about, you know, showing up, right? And like how you show up as a senior leader. And you actually, in the blog post, I I like how you formatted the blog post, Dear Senior Leader, show up in all caps, right? they You know, (laughs) I mean, most senior leaders walk into a meeting. Um, I I spent um, about eight months engaged in a project that I was invited to be a part of. And for eight months, every meeting I watched... The CEO be on his phone, literally every single time he wasn't speaking. So in other words, every single time Mm -hmm. somebody else was speaking, he had pulled out his phone to check his email. Who knows, right? And I was like, and I finally said to him, by the way, did you notice that every single time somebody else is talking, you're actually on the phone? He was like, he was like, I don't really think I am. I'm not, I don't, I just need to check my email every once in a while. I'm like, you might want to just observe yourself. And um, he's like, well, nobody's ever mentioned that other than you. And I'm like, well, I think probably maybe somebody I'm, you know, I'm just here as an outsider. I'm just an observer. I don't have to work (laughs) for you every day. So I think that maybe people are afraid to mention that to you. And about mm-hmm. three weeks later, he called me and he said, People have noticed and mentioned to me that they find that I'm w- way more attentive in a meeting and meetings recently. I think I must have been on my phone a lot. Like, yeah, I mean, it just would give off such a bad vibe in the meeting because people would end up reiterating themselves. And I think he actually heard it in some way because half the time he would. Talk about something that somebody else had just mentioned and sort of take it as his own idea. It was kind of a crazy, crazy um, experience to watch that. And so we think that sometimes we just don't realize how we do show up.
1: Yep. All of us have these behaviors that we give off in meetings or you know, right. in conversations, what have you. and we are perceived a certain way and many of us are not aware of how we are perceived and what we are doing to create the perception. So yeah, I mean, that was a gift that you gave him. I mean, I'm sure that might've, that may have been uncomfortable for you to take that step and step outside of whatever you were doing. to Say, Hey, <laughs> Joe, you need to get off your phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Joe's CEO was, is better for it today because you were able to just give him a little mirror to have him And it
0: was probably easier for me than other people because I, you know, once again, I wasn't, I was the outsider and I was just simply the observer, but you know,
1: it, it would be. I can't tell you how many times I have heard from a CEO say, my people feel this way whatever way it is and I know for a fact that their people do not feel that way because I have spoken to their people and I know how other people feel um and it is it's really hard to then turn and say would you consider that the possibility that you might not n- see clearly how your people feel because of the where of where you sit and your role within the organization, and it's some—it's—it's it's interesting to me how they are surprised by that concept. Um, and every leader, every leader, even a manager who leads a group of plumbers, is in that same position where they are leading a group of people who perceive them in a certain way and may or may not be sharing with them clear. A, a clear view of how they feel or what they what they think. Every single leader is in that position. It's just half. It just happens that the CEO, you know, they've got a highly visible role, so and they've got hundreds of people under them in- or thousands of people under them instead of right. Size. Exactly, exactly. Well, as we think about the
0: name of this podcast, indispensable. It really relates to what I always like to ask. What are those business truths, tools, and tips that you can't live without? And some of them could be really, you know, we've talked a lot about different, having a set of tools, and and we've definitely talk, talked about some truths. So I'd love for you just to kind of sum up or answer that question, um, because I think you have some abiding truths that you've learned over the years that could be helpful to everybody listening?
1: <laughs> well, um, gosh, that's a that's a tough question. That's a tough question. I guess when I meet people, many times when I meet people, I meet a leader and they're having a really hard time either in a series of relationships or a specific relationship. Or I meet a team who has a boss that's, quote, impossible, or, you know, it's usually the, the dysfunctional relationships that lead me to my clients. And most of the time, I have to convince them of something that I have learned time and time and time and time and time again, and that is there is always hope in every single relationship. Even the most dysfunctional, even relationships where you hate somebody, there is always hope. I have seen the most beautiful work relationships flower from hatred. I've seen it happen. I mean, I didn't do that. The the people in those relationships did it, but I was present for it, and I I. I'm honored to have been with them in the journey, but I know a lot of people are in relationships and I'm sure all of us have like at least one person that they, they, they sit down and they think, gosh, I wish that person wasn't on my team or I hate that girl. She's so annoying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We have, everybody has at least one and some of us have like hundreds, but (laughs) but there's always hope for peace and for calm and clarity and mutual appreciation. There's always hope. If if both sides are willing to lean into that idea, then the success rate for improving relationships is really high. So the first thing is just believing that, okay, There's got to be something we can do. There is something we can do. We can make this better. This can be better. I don't have to feel this way. I don't have to be full of hate or annoyance. There's always hope. So I think that's, if I were going to part with you with one insight or truth that I have learned over the years, it's that we should never give up hope. Well, that's...
0: um... Not only is that hopeful and optimistic and, like, coming from a place of, you know, lots of abundance, but it is also gives people an opportunity to reflect on those relationships that they can't seem to figure out, perhaps, and, like, Mm -hmm. rethink them, right? Like
1: right mm-hmm. if if
0: people can come together and and just say all right let's look at this from a different perspective or let me think about it from your side well that can open up a whole lot of new opportunity that didn't seem to exist prior
1: i love that right i love that yeah it's not going to ch- it's not going to change if you're signed off on it it will only change if you reengage in the hope that it can be better. Well, I hope
0: that everybody really so. thinks about that because I, I think that that's really, really important. Sometimes we just walk away and we think, okay, it's just better to walk away or and sometimes, you know, relationships and conversations and workplace environments, they need to go on pause for a little bit and let people come back to them. But I think that's really powerful. Thank you for sharing that with us. How, my How can people gone. learn more about you? Where can they find you? How do you what channel do you like to use to talk with people?
1: I use so many channels. I LinkedIn is one of them, of course. Glad, glad to hear <laughs> it. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, also anyone who wants to learn more about Honeycomb Team Solutions can just look me up at ww.honeycomb solutions.com and or find me on Twitter at, my handle is Melanie Prosh. And also on Facebook, um, I have, we have a company page on Facebook. So we're kind of all over the place and love to hear from others wherever and whenever they find time. Or a mean
0: great, and I would say you've got some great blog posts there. Um, I love all your blog posts, and kind of made me sort of think about hmm, yes, I've experienced this, and maybe I didn't react the way I should have reacted. So reading some of your suggestions for how to react might, um, will definitely benefit me. I know that for sure. So I am so glad and so grateful we could spend this time together because this is a great segment with lots to, um for people to think about and unpack for themselves, which is really the next step, right? That's what, the, that's where the learning takes place is when they, they listen, mm-hmm. they reflect and they think about how they might employ something that you've talked about. So thank you so much, Melanie. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Colleen. Thank you.
0: And that's all for Indispensable. Thanks for joining us. We hope to catch you on our next episode. Grab our show notes, review them, check out the links included, and head over to interoadvisory.com to learn more about the work that we do in our community and with our clients.